this is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this is the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast. In episode 5 of Journey Through the Scriptures, we learned a little more about the writer of the letter to James. We learned that the focus of the letter was the activity of faith and that both trials and the Word of God made faith grow. Words and wisdom are the focus of James chapter 3. The uncontrolled words and the wisdom of the world always leads to destruction. Those who trust God understand that neither human speech nor human philosophy will lead them towards a life of faith. The whole of James chapter 3 is devoted to an exposition of the third way in which faith can be recognized, by a controlled tongue. James uses very recognizable clear symbolism and visual metaphors to tell us what the tongue is like. James 3 verses 6 says, The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. Every animal, bird and reptile can be subdued and tamed. But man by himself cannot control his tongue. We can see the tongue is the member of our body most closely linked to our real nature because it reveals our hidden intent, and therefore what we say reveals what we really are. James makes it very clear in chapter 3 that if you really claim to be a Christian and to have faith in Jesus Christ, something should be happening to your tongue. Faith should be doing its work in reducing the tongue's sharpness and bitterness. Faith will teach us how to silence our tongues and keeping them from lashing out with sharp words and harsh criticism. Psalm 141 verses 3 should be every believer's prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. James provides four truths to help us tame our tongues. Firstly, we must recognize that we will be held accountable for what we say. James 3 verses 1 to 2 Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we will all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Jesus said in Matthew 12 verses 36 to 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus was not teaching justification by works, but like James, he was teaching that our works reveal whether our faith is a genuine faith. Our words either validate that we are true believers, or they reveal that we do not know God. Secondly, to tame the tongue, James tells us that we must recognize its power for good and for evil. James 3 verses 3 to 5 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are very large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James uses two visual metaphors here to make the point that the tongue is small but powerful. He talks about the tongue as a bit and a rudder. A bit is a relatively small instrument, but when you put it into a horse's mouth, you can control the entire horse. The same thing is true of a ship's rudder. It is relatively small compared to the size of the ship, but with it even a large ship can be steered. James's point of comparison is not so much about control, because the tongue does not really control the body, but the disproportional influence of such a small part. James is saying, don't underestimate the power of the tongue, because if you do, you won't be able to tame it. If you control your tongue, it can direct your whole life into what is acceptable in God's sight. If you don't control your tongue, it will get you into great trouble. Thirdly, to tame the tongue, we must recognize that it is a humanly untamable source of evil. James 3 verses 5 to 8 says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. James uses two more word pictures for comparison and contrast, a forest fire and tamed animals. Here, in the Western Cape region of South Africa, we are very aware of the potential threat and danger of forest fires. All it takes is one cigarette or one campfire that is not totally extinguished and thousands of acres of forest can be destroyed. Under control, fire is useful. Out of control, it is frightening and devastating. James's point is clear. The tongue is a deadly, powerful source of evil that affects every part of our being. If we do not use our tongues with great caution, we are like spiritual arsonists, lighting careless fires that cause widespread destruction. Most Christians would shrink back from sins like homosexuality, molesting children, or murder as being evil. Yet we tolerate gossip, slander, deceit, half-truths, outright lies, and other sins of the tongue as if they were of no consequence. As a believer in Christ, we should confront these sins in ourselves, and we must be bold enough to confront them in others. Finally, to tame the tongue, we must recognize that its paradoxes are rooted in its source. James 3 verses 9 to 12 says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Believers can easily say, praise the Lord in one breath, and in the next breath they say evil things about another person who are made in the image of God. They sit in church singing hymns to God, and shortly after will say terrible things about the driver of a taxi who cuts them off 
in the road outside the church. James says very directly, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And he asks rhetorically in verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James's point is the same one that Jesus made in Matthew 12 verses 34. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus also said in Matthew 15 verses 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The mouth is simply the opening that vents whatever is in the heart. If you cannot control your tongue, you often have a heart problem. If you want to tame the terrible tongue, the place to start is with your heart. Work daily at taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That verse is found in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 5. Like Galatians 5.18 tells us, Walk daily under the control of the Holy Spirit. We should renew our minds by memorizing Scripture. Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 and Psalms 119 verses 11. Memorize Ephesians 4 verses 29. That verse says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Finally, remind yourself of James 1 verses 90 to 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Then in chapter 4 and most of chapter 5, James answers the question, what happens when faith fails? What if you do not exercise faith? What if you are a Christian, but you do not live by faith, the continual belief in what the Lord Jesus has said and done? What happens? Firstly, wars and strife break out. This is the direct cause of a lack of prayer. Prayer is the representation of faith. Prayer is the most perfect expression of faith because prayer is the manifestation of dependence upon God. James attributes the whole problem of wars, fighting, arguments and disagreements among us to lack of prayer. He says so in James 4 verses 2. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. This is the problem. We fight with each other because we do not ask God for anything. We have not acquired from Him the nature of love and compassion that He offers us in Christ. We do not choose to receive from Him kind words to give to others, but we would rather lash out at one another and fight with one another. It is a direct result of the lack of faith that wars and fighting break out. The second thing that will happen when faith fails or we do not exercise faith is that the love of the world will infiltrate our lives. James 4 verses 4 says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. If we stop believing what the scriptures say, we will find ourselves being drawn to the lies and the seductive illusion of the world around us. 
we will start thinking that things matter, that status and appearance matter. Very soon our wealth, time and thoughts will start going in that direction. We will soon find ourselves drifting into a state where we are only concerned for this life, for the approval of others and will be perfectly conformed to the world. This is a direct result of lack of faith. The third thing that will happen when we do not exercise faith is that there will be critical judgment of others. James 4 verses 11 speaks about this specifically. Do not speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. If this happens, we have forgotten that we are to sit under the judgment of the word of God, and anyone who criticizes another puts himself above the word of God, saying that he is the judge. Instead of letting the word judge him, he becomes the judge of someone else. The fourth result of lack of faith is an overconfident assurance. This is explained in James 4 verses 13 to 14. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I suppose the best way to describe this result of a failure of our faith is to tell you of how I became overconfident in my assurance. I was asked to go and pray for an older man who was dying of lung cancer and emphysema. He was sitting in the lounge of his house, wearing an oxygen mask and was breathing with difficulty. Apparently he had led a rebellious and immoral life, had smoked all his life and had only recently repented and given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had been diagnosed with this inoperable and terminal disease. I was so full of confidence that I would be able to tell him all about the wonderful grace of God towards sinners and that if he had faith, God could cure him of his cancer and emphysema. After a couple of minutes, he held up his hand, took off his oxygen mask and started speaking to me. I could see that it was very difficult for him to speak. My boy, he said, I don't think you really understand what God's grace is. My whole life I felt I was master of my own fate, that I could live my life as I wanted with no consequences, but right here at the end of my life I finally realize how I took God for granted. Can I tell you what God's grace is? It is the gift he gives me every time I take a breath. This oxygen mask gives me oxygen, but only God's grace gives me the ability to take just one breath at a time, to use that oxygen to keep me alive one breath at a time. That dying old man's words touched me forever. For the first time I understood God's grace, and the words of James 4 verses 13 to 14 took on a deeper meaning. I realized that I was a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I had to learn true humility, understanding that my life is fragile and short. Unless God allows it, I can accomplish nothing. The final thing that James warns us about is that forgetting the importance of faith results in deceit and neglect. James 5 verses 1 to 2 says, Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. 
Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. What corrupts any Christian to become dishonest and exploitive in business practices? What makes him think that he can cheat on his income tax? What makes him have shady deals in business and thinks that being a believer excuses him from the consequences? What makes any Christian do that? He forgets. He does not believe the word of God anymore. He forgets that there is a judge watching, listening, hearing everything, considering all he does. He forgets that Jesus is coming again, and what all men have done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. James goes on to remind us all in chapter 5 verse 9 to be patient and to wait for the coming of the Lord. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. In the last part of chapter 5, James shows us some wonderful examples of what early Christian fellowship was like and how it should be for us today, 2,000 years later. Nothing has changed. We might have a lot of wonderful technology and a better standard of living, but human nature has not changed in two millennia. And James states four characteristics that we should have as believers. Firstly, we should have honesty or integrity. James 5 verses 12 says, But above all my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other earth, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, James is encouraging us to be dependable, and to be trustworthy. One thing that has always puzzled me is that Christians seem to think that if they promise to do something and use the words I promise, that somehow that gives their actions more weight and believability. One of the characteristics that should always be present in a fellowship among believers is that they can be counted on. When they say yes, it means yes. And when they say no, it means no. There should be never any doubt or need for promises or swearing oaths. Remember that one of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 is faithfulness or trustworthiness. The Greek word for trustworthiness is pistikos, and the root word pistis means faithfulness, so they are closely related. The second characteristic of a healthy Christian life is confession. James 5 verses 13 to 16 states, Is anyone among you suffering? He should keep on praying about it, and those who have reason to be thankful should continually be singing praises to the Lord. Is anyone sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him and pour a little oil upon him, calling on the Lord to heal him. And their prayer, if offered in faith, will heal him, for the Lord will make him well. And if his sickness is caused by some sin, the Lord will forgive him. Admit your faults to one another, and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power, and wonderful results. James was telling the first century believers to talk to one another about their problems. It applies to us today. Why have we stopped praying for one another? We should be able to confess our faults to one another and bear one another's burdens. 
we need to come out from behind our masks and to stop trying to pretend to be something that we are not, but be what we really are. When this happens, immediately the grace of the God of truth, who loves truth, will begin to flow through us, and it will create a fellowship that will be attractive to the world and make them desire what believers have. This is what is sadly missing in today's society. Many Christians today are choosing to live in little isolation cells, not wanting to let anyone in at all. They let nobody see what they are like, never admitting to failure, never talking about any problems, always putting on a smile when they get together with fellow believers. This kind of hypocrisy needs to come to an end. James tells us that God will be in our midst if we start to take down all the fences and be open and honest with each other. The third characteristic of a healthy Christian fellowship is prayer. James reminds us of the prayers of Elijah in James 5 verses 16 to 17. I truly believe that very few Christians actually have the idea of the power that has been granted to us in the ministry of prayer. We all know the stories of Elijah, that mighty prophet of God, and think that he was so special and that God had given him some sort of special power. However, James quickly dismisses that wrong perception and tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental and spiritual limitations and shortcomings, and he prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. The heartfelt prayers of any believer have the power to control the effects of daily life, and to bring peace with it. That is what Paul reminds us to do in 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 2. You should pray for kings and for all who have authority. Pray for the leaders so that we may have quiet and peaceful lives, lives full of worship and respect for God. The fourth and final characteristic of the fellowship of believers is a concern for each other. This is found in the last two verses of James chapter 5 verses 19 to 20. My brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James has given us a wonderful glimpse into the life of the early church. It is no wonder that this small band of Christians turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. Under the leadership of this man James, the church grew until it was a vast multitude of believers and they turned the whole earth upside down and changed the world forever. The title of these podcast episodes is The Work of Faith. I chose that title deliberately. James teaches us that faith is not something that you simply profess. You have to show that you believe in the Lord Jesus by acting. That is faith. James is absolutely right when he says that faith without actions cannot save you, because faith without actions is like a corpse, lifeless. Faith is not simply reciting the Lord's Prayer once in a while or going to church regularly on a Sunday, it is acting in faith, demonstrating your trust in the Lord. The pressures on Christians today are essentially the same that they were when James wrote this letter in the first century. The letter of James, therefore, is as relevant and up-to-date for any believer wanting to follow Christ now as it was then. 
James teaches us how to behave in the world and how to behave in the church. It focuses on what we do, not on what we say. Bible knowledge is absolutely worthless until we do something about it. That is why I call these podcasts on the letter of James, the works of faith. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 6. Thank you.